Hello everybody, welcome to episode number 26 of Show Us Your Kit. I'm joined today by Paul Harper from the This Is Tramia podcast. You can find Paul on Twitter at paulharper82. Uh, and Paul, you're our lowest ranked football team to appear on the podcast so far. Uh, but where, tell us about your podcast and tell us about where we can uh, find it. Right. I'm not I'm not sure that's a compliment that we're the lowest ranked <laughs> club you've featured so far, but thank you uh, for taking pity on us. Um, yeah, this is Chamber Podcast. We've been going for about five years now. It started when I was communication officer at the club. So it started as like an, an official thing, but we've carried it on since. Um, it's just me and a couple of mates, uh, Chamber fans, basically just rambling and ranting most of, most importantly at the minute uh, ranting about us being rubbish um, on a on a weekly basis uh, you can find us on SoundCloud iTunes and Spotify um, so if you just search this is Tramia you'll be able to find us but yeah we we vaguely talk about Tramia we normally branch off and talk about more interesting subjects if we're completely <laughs> honest um, Kind of keeps our keeps our mind off the fact that we're so bad at the minute, but um, yeah, that's uh, that's where you can find us. Very good. Well, I did listen to one of your episodes uh, a couple of weeks ago just to get a, a gauge of it, and it, it was it was you know I think I mean for Premier League teams, the football and the analysis really takes over podcasts, even at our sort of level of amateurism. Yeah. Uh, but. I mean, is that is? Do you still go into that detailed analysis? Are you able to? Uh, do you have the footage? I mean, because it's not covered as widely as as some of the higher leagues. Yeah, I mean, um, so obviously this season the EFL have taken it upon themselves to to offer a bit better coverage um, via the iFollow, um, mm. which is kind of the streaming service that um, clubs in the football league use. Um, so previously, it just been a one camera footage. Um, with no replays or anything. Um, at least this season, we get in a few sort of zoom in replays and slow motion and bits and bobs like that. But yeah, it's not the best. It's not the best way to, when you're used to going the match home and away every week and seeing everything that's going on, uh, watching through a little camera lens is not, <laughs> it's not the best. Mm. And it's far from what we're used to. But um, yeah, it's one of them. It's, uh, it's either that or nothing. So, um, yeah, at least they are providing us with some sort of coverage, which is which is good and helps us keep connected with the club, albeit it's not as uh, as close as it, it used to be. Mm. So you said that your podcast started when you were the communication officer at Tramway. Uh, what did that What did that role entail? It entailed everything, Tom. To be honest, um, it was <laughs> stick a broom up my backside and uh, <laughs> I would sweep the floors. Um, yeah, I, I came in initially as an assistant and then quickly realised that I was on my own. <laughs> so I wasn't assisting anyone. I was um, basically running the show. Um, so yeah, I was looking after the website, making sure that all the content and that was up to date. Um, news, news um, looking after the, all the social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, anything else that they wanted to throw at me. Um, and yeah, I ended up commentating on the matches, uh, writing match reports, uh, doing all sorts really. And then this podcast was something that I wanted to do <laughs> and just added to my long list of, of roles. So um, yeah, but I enjoyed it. It was three and a half years. So it's kind of fell into it a little bit, really. I was kind of just sort of a, a bit of a blogger. Um, I used to blog about, you know, the games and, um, sort of news stories and stuff for various outlets. Um, and then I kind of started helping out on a voluntary basis on a match day, doing sort of some post-match interviews to help out the, the person who was in the role at the time. And uh, yeah, a role became available. I applied because I was in a bit of a dead-end job, if I'm honest, um, a bit fed up. And yeah, went from there and uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. Great. Well, it sounds that's my kind of dream job, but I mean, at the Wolves, as such a high-profile club, it, it, it seems impossible, seems out of reach. But um, yeah, so have, have you got any advice for them for people who are perhaps looking to go into that kind of route? I mean, there's there's so much out there at the minute that you can get involved with, whether it's volunteering or whether it's kind of like uh, freelancing. 
there's so many sort of football blogs and I mean I've been doing some freelance writing that since I left Tramia um, for various sort of pages and stuff um, just to keep my eye in really um, so yeah just um, I mean if you if you're keen on writing which is my sort of passion from when I've been very little really um, writing about football set yourself up a blog, get writing, whatever ideas you've got, whether you want to write match reports or, you know, rant about the manager being hopeless and doesn't make substitutions when he should do or whatever it is. Um, get it out on, on paper, stick it on your Twitter feed. Um, you build up an audience quite quickly, I found. Um, it's kind of how I started and then kind of goes from there. And yeah, just keep keep doing as much as you can. I mean, like podcasts and stuff. Um is a way of sort of getting into kind of more radio, the radio side of things. Um, obviously, people are doing vlogs and stuff, which is really good on YouTube and bits and pieces. So just do as much as you can. As Try and find your passion would be my advice. What you think you're good at um, and just keep doing it and mm. get it out there as much as you can. Someone will spot it. I was, I mean, I was doing blogs and stuff just because just I enjoyed doing it. Um, and people were noticing and that's kind of how I, I built up a, a bit of a, a reputation and I was writing for like Sky Sports and uh, The Guardian and stuff uh, approached okay. me for, to do a few articles and stuff so um, yeah, you do get noticed on Twitter especially um, so keep putting your stuff out there I mean it, sometimes it's a bit hard to take when people are criticising and they don't agree with your opinions or whatever it is mm. but just keep keep you keep uh, keep putting work out there and stuff. And uh, there's so many great outlets that you can use to, to, to publish and stuff. So just keep doing it. And if you're enjoying it um, and somebody does spot you, then all, all the better. But um, if it's something you enjoy doing anyway, it's not really a chore as such. It's kind of a bit of a hobby, which mm. it was for me. And then I've kind of well, made a bit of a career out of it for a short time. But yeah, just keep keep doing that as much as you can. Brilliant. Great advice uh, and hopefully will inspire some of our listeners to uh, get involved or carry on getting involved in stuff. Uh, now, this podcast gives people a chance to sort of reminisce about the better times at the club, perhaps, because you've already mentioned how you're not enjoying the football at the minute and it, you know it's quite difficult to watch Tramir at the minute. So let's rewind a little bit to uh, the 1990s. And in fact, I think this is a perfect chance for us to share your first kit. And then you can tell us the story behind why it's your favourite kit and then we can reminisce about the times where you nearly got into the Premier League and the League Cup <laughs> final, all that sort of stuff we can talk about now. Yeah, there's some some happy memories and then there's some not so happy. But um, yeah, this is this is my first kit. Um, so if back to when I first start, I'm, I'm 38 now. I'm sad to admit. <laughs> um, but I stuck, my first game was 1987. Uh, Tramia needed to win to stay in the uh, we were bottom of the fourth division as it was then. Um, mm. And we played Exeter on the last day of the season. Um, my dad and my granddad thought that uh, a little four-year-old lad might bring a little bit of luck. <laughs> and um, So I went to the game with my granddad and um, we almost stayed up. Um, and, yeah, and I was hooked. Didn't really start going regular sort of this season, the 89 season, when we just so happened to make the finals. Um, so this is the kit, and obviously the picture you're showing, Tom, is we've got the, the Leyland Daft Cup, um, which is probably the biggest achievement the club has ever had within mm. this. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, just before we went to Wembley, uh, my dad gifted me the full, the full kit, so... Um, shirt, socks, and uh, shorts, um, and this was—I was, was just—I wore it whenever I could, um, and obviously wore it to, to Wembley, and I was in the in the stadium to watch us uh, beat Bristol Rovers two one. So this is brings back many many fond fond memories, and uh, yeah, probably four of my first ten Tramia games were at Wembley. So it's a bit <laughs> surreal, really. Especially looking at the club now. <laughs> well, I, did, I saw that actually yeah, when really I was doing a bit of research. Times. I was doing a bit of research this morning. I did see that. Is it four Wembley finals within a year uh, for Tramia? Yeah, so we got to both um, 
So, well, Division Three playoffs final and the Leyland Aft Cup final two seasons in a row. So within the space of 12 and a half months, we were at Wembley four times. And um, obviously I was still quite young at the time. We weren't going as regularly as, as, as I as do now. Mm. Um, so yeah, probably, I don't know, 10, 15, 10, 15 games in, and I've been to, to Wembley four times, <laughs> which is, um, if you if you start supporting Chamia now, that isn't going to happen. <laughs> so, so I was very very fortunate, and obviously when you're enjoying that much success as a, as a kid, you're hooked and you're just loving it, and you think this is going to happen every <laughs> every season. But it uh, soon transpires that it's uh, it's not quite like like that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, really really happy times, and that and that's why it's my favourite kit. It's not probably not the prettiest, but. Mm. Um, because of those memories, it brings back so much, uh, so much happiness. I've got to ask you about the sponsor, Wirral. Uh, I've got a bit of a fascination about sponsors from this kind of era. What yeah. did Wirral do? I know it's the, it's the local area, isn't it? Is, is that all it was? Yeah. Was it just promoting the local area? It's the the council, the council sponsor. Oh, is it really? Um, so yeah, um, we had a number of different sponsors in the eighties, including the local nightclub. <laughs> um, we were sponsored by Champion Spark Plugs uh, for, for a time, and then uh, wow. yeah, going through very cool financial problems, a bit like they are now, <laughs> and most of the last twenty years. Um, so yeah, the council stepped in, and uh, it was a way of obviously promoting. You know, the um, you know, the world's a beautiful place for those who haven't been. Uh, you know, beaches and there's lots of uh, great sort of tourist attractions and stuff. So they thought they'd they'd kind of jump on board. It was it was a, it was a good deal for them in terms of they weren't paying that much, but they were getting a lot of exposure, especially when we get to Wembley and stuff, mm. uh, you know, live on TV and all the rest of it. So um, it worked well for for both parties. And yeah, I think um, at this present time, a lot of fans are calling for the return of of Wirral on the shirts because it it does sort of represent our area. Mm. Um, probably it's going to happen because well, the council aren't going to pay two million quid a year to, to sponsor a football team anymore, especially with all the cuts and stuff. Really well, especially those that don't follow the club. So, yeah, it's basically mm. just the, the area of trying to promote themselves, really, which is great. So, and yeah, and uh, the so the the Merseyside area, that sort of uh, northwest area. What's what's the relationship now with the likes of Liverpool and Everton? Because there there was quite a few players who sort of ended their careers at Tranmere and, and things like that. But that doesn't happen so much anymore. Not so much. Um, yeah, you, you'll find a lot of fans are very um, what's the word bitter. Probably the best word to sum it up about the the bigger two, especially because we see you know, pre-COVID. Obviously, we we there's so many people that travel from the Wirral through the tunnel mm. to go and watch Liverpool and Everton, and it is frustrating when they've got a you know a good football club on their doorstep, but they choose to do that. Um, and obviously, we're just the, the little neighbours that nobody really cares about unless you're you know, a passionate Birkenonian. So. Um, yeah, and in terms of players and stuff, that, that used to be a thing. And I, I know people used to go and watch Tramio on a Friday night when we used to play Fridays in the, the 80s and the 90s and be able to go and watch Liverpool and Everton on the Saturday. But obviously, I don't know when the last time Liverpool played three o'clock on a Saturday, but it probably doesn't happen that often mm. uh, anymore. So, and obviously, prices and, and it's very much not affordable to take a, a family of three or four to, to both on a weekend, especially yeah. when you're doing it every week. So, yeah, that doesn't happen anymore. So we very much rely on a hardcore fan base at the moment. Um, so, yeah, and, and players-wise, I mean, we've got Jay Spearman at the moment. He was at Liverpool back in the day, played in... Uh, I think he was in the Champions League squad, one, one of their finals. Mm. Um, maybe the, the 2007, perhaps. Yeah. Um, might need to double check that. But um, yeah, we, we don't generally get many players from those clubs, even on loan. And some of the ones we have had have been absolutely dreadful. So <laughs> that's probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah. 
And then we got one of the higher Godwin Ant. Godwin Antwi. We got a, a special shout out for him. He was at Liverpool. He was kind of one of these, I don't know, he was, wherever he was from, Cameroon or somewhere. Uh, international, obviously. Uh, came on loan to us. He was absolutely joy. Come back, tr- couldn't trap a bag of cement. <laughs> so one of the higher profile players that you had on, uh, well, not on loan, I suppose you had him as a, I think he was player manager at the time, John Aldridge. And oh, that, yeah. uh, that great team of the late 90s and the League yeah. Cup runs. Uh, tell us about that kind of time. Yeah, so obviously we had um, Johnny King in the mid-90s got to the uh, playoffs, champ- well, championship playoffs as they are now. Uh, three years in a row, lost in the semi-finals each time. So, yeah, so near yet so far away. 95, we were top of the league with about four games to go and blew it. Uh, I think we needed one win um, out of the last four to secure a promotion. And uh, <laughs> Drew one and lost three. Oh, nice. uh, and got knocked out in the playoffs um, to Reading, who I think went up. Did they go up? Oh, maybe not. But uh, yeah, we seemed to just fall short on the last. I think we were always a striker too light. We had Aldridge, he was like, bagging all the goals, but we didn't have anyone to kind of support him. And we were probably just one player away from just making that final step. And then obviously um, Aston Villa in the semi-final of the League Cup in 94, lost on penalties. Mark mm-hmm. Bosnich, she should have been sent off. Yeah, not that I'm bitter about that one either. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so, so, so close that time. And then Sort of fast forward, uh, Aldridge had taken over as, as manager, and we did get to the final in 2000, the last final at Wembley, which is always kind of like a, a bit of a historical moment, I, I suppose. Mm. Um, and yeah, did really well, had a brilliant cup run, did well in the FA Cup as well, got to the quarterfinals that year. And um, yeah, brilliant day at Wembley. Um, I think there was 30,000 Tranmere fans. I say, invi- I say Tranmere fans very much in inverted commas because mm. we don't have 30,000 fans <laughs> um, whatsoever. But um, Merseyside seemed to jump on the bandwagon and uh, yeah, it was great. Loads of flags, fireworks, obviously at kickoff and all that kind of thing. And uh, the atmosphere was fantastic. We went 1-0 down, had a man sent off at 1-0, um, unjustly again, <laughs> in my eyes. Um, <laughs> well, probably not many others um, and then somehow got an equaliser Ned, Ke- Ned Kelly David Kelly um, of equal- yeah brilliant player he was yeah. um, scored an equaliser um, and I just remember going absolutely mental uh, it was with my dad my uncle my cousin a few cousins um, there was people in front of us who I'd never met before in my life and then we're just jumping all over each other <laughs> Um, going mental because we couldn't believe we were in this kind of position we were close to winning a, a major trophy mm. which as I said before the Leyland Daft Cup was the biggest thing we'd won before this so um, yeah and then for some reason sort of a section of fans started singing you're not singing anymore which I will never sing ever again because as soon as they started singing Matt Elliott headed in the winner <laughs> for last <laughs> Uh, and we lost 2-1, so it's, it was a bit of a, it was a brilliant day in terms of, you know, I'm pretty sure we're never, ever going to get to that ever again, not in my lifetime. Um, but yeah, just a, a bit of a disappointment, but, you know, just proud of the club to have got that far and proud that we were, mm. you know, there was 30,000 of us and we had a, you know, we had a great day, win, lose or draw, and it was that kind of camaraderie that's, that's, Start to come back now, actually, um, in the last sort of two or three years, you know, with the, with the promotions that we've enjoyed and stuff. It, for, I mean, for me as a football fan, that really put Tramia on the map. I'd never heard of Tramia before that point. I was only like ten years old when they got to that final. But then, why didn't they build on that sort of success? What happened in the in the intervening time? Very good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so we had an owner, Peter Johnson, at the time. Um, who some people may remember actually took over Everton in the late nineties. So he was in sort of in control, but he had, um, 
it made a chair a chairwoman of a lady called Lorraine Rogers, and he very much he was all in at Everton. He wanted to you know try and bring Everton that success back that they haven't enjoyed since 1995, which I always remind our Everton supporters, <laughs> supporting friends. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so he basically just didn't want to put any any more money in that he needed to. Um, and it was very much a case of we were surviving on the bare minimum that we could get by on. And the season afterwards, we got relegated into the League One, what is now League One. Um, and yeah, it's been a, it was a bit of a downward spiral after that so 2014 we got relegated into league two and then the following season we fell out of the league and into the into the national league and that's when mm-hmm. um mr palios mark palios former of the fa um stepped in and, and took charge and has begun to bring better times although this season isn't obviously going as according to plan but mm-hmm. um at least we've seen a couple of promotions and we got back to to where we were and where we think we belong, yeah. Um, and had a, a few good days alongside that, so yeah. Well, so Tranmere have always been a football league club, apart, I mean, I think it was 97 years in the football league until the relegation. So, what was it like then dipping down into the conference? And you know, what was the difference in grounds like? You know, was it a real shock to the system, or did you, you know, enjoy that kind of completely different kind of football? Right, um, I need a, I need a diplomatic answer here because I don't want to offend some of uh, the friends I picked up during these non-league times. It was horrible. <laughs> it was horrible. Um, yeah, ninety-four years we'd been a football league club from nineteen twenty-one onwards, and then we dropped out of the league, and it was it was very much a big culture shock going mm. to places like I mean they're in the football league now. Barrow, um, they've redeveloped a bit of their ground because it was. Well, it was a bit of ramshackled shed. Um, yeah, you end up going to Boredom Wood and Braintree and all these godforsaken places. Uh, and yeah, it's a very much culture shock. And we were very much the the, the big name in that league, mm. the fifteen thousand all seat stadium, and we're playing in front of sort of six hundred at Boredom Wood, and it's, well, it's like, what are we doing here? Yeah. But obviously, the the team on the pitch at the time were hopeless so we deserved to be at that level at the time and it was just a case of trying to bring a bit of a winning mentality back um, and thankfully under Gary Brabin and, and latterly Mickey Mellon uh, we started to you know get that winning mentality back and and start moving ourselves back up, up the pyramid but mm. yeah those three years it felt like it felt like longer to be fair and yeah I know that yeah. as, a, as a Wolves fan, when we drop down to League One, and similarly with Leeds fans as well, uh, we look back on it really fondly. You know, from a couple of years previous, we were going to Old Trafford and Anfield, and then we were going to Stevenage and those kind of grounds and Warsaw. <laughs> we found it amazing because we were, you know, we take still the same number of away fans to games, and we were filling half the stadium. Uh, we loved it, but we got up very, very quickly. Uh, I know that Sheffield United fans and uh, other teams who've stayed there for a little bit longer couldn't stand it. So I can understand your frustration because it took well quite a long time to sort it all out. But then yeah. these two promotions from the conference to League One back to back, that must have been an incredible time. Yeah. I mean, th- th- it was three years in the National League and mm. I can look back on it fondly now, knowing that hopefully <laughs> we won't ever go back there. But yeah. although this season uh, we were teetering on the brink, maybe, but mm. hopefully it won't happen again. Um, but yeah, uh, obviously going to—I don't want to go to Braintree again. It was horrible. <laughs> not, not, not that I want to pick on them particularly, but it was horrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so one of the pitches that we're going to see in a, shortly, I'm sure, is mm. uh, at Wembley when we got back into the Football League, which was just an amazing day. Not only because we had a man sent off after 41 seconds. Uh, there we are. So that's me on the pitch at, at Wembley um, shortly after the final whistle. Um, yeah, looking like a lunatic, to be fair. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just that, that emotion. And I think it was so important for the club to, to get that promotion because if we just stayed in the National League much longer, you do get bogged down 
Mm. And you see with the likes of like Wrexham and teams like that, big clubs who have been in the National League for so long, it's so hard to get out of it. There's only one promotion place and, a, and then a playoff place. It's it's so easy to get bogged down and you just sort of, you just get lumbered in that in that league. Mm. And I think Notts County and teams like that are finding it very difficult at the moment. But yeah, it was just relief, excitement, because we'd not seen a promotion for, it was 27 years at the time. Oh, wow. um, so it's been a long time since we've enjoyed any sort of success. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just a brilliant, brilliant day. And then the following year, we we backed it up and somehow got promoted again. It was unbelievable. And I was there as a as a supporter that day uh, with my family and stuff. And yeah, just brilliant, brilliant. Um, the the best bit was because we got promoted and we thought, well, let's just consolidate our position. You know, we knew back into the league. We, you know, we didn't set expectations too high, and I know a lot of teams had, had kind of done the double in terms of they used that momentum. And, and mm. a lot of people think that League Two isn't quite as competitive, and it's quite easy to to, to make that jump. And obviously, we'd we'd suffered successive relegations down. It would be easy just to pop back up again. It obviously it wasn't, um, but yeah. We, we realistically we weren't expecting to to get promoted and mm. made it to the playoffs. This time we didn't bottle it, um, and yeah, uh, beat Newport one 0 after extra time. It was a long day that one hundred and nineteenth minute to to, to <laughs> see a goal. Um, but yeah, when that goal went in, it was just yeah, inject that in my veins uh, forever, and I would be yeah. incredibly happy, man, because it was just just incredible and um yeah just a, an amazing day being at Wem- yeah. winning at Wembley is the best way to go up uh, I know yeah. a lot of clubs want that trophy you know the the you know winning the league and mm. cruising to, to victory but you can't be a day at Wembley um climbing the steps and lifting lifting well I mean it, it is a trophy but it's it's not if you know what I mean but yeah um yeah that's that's the best way of getting promoted and yeah to do that two times in a row was just unbelievable. Was it a case of then too much too quickly? Because or or do you put it down to COVID and what happened last season? Because you got relegated from League One back to League Two. What was the what's the reason? Yeah, yeah, I would say it was it was too soon. Um, we weren't ready. I don't think financially we were in a position to kind of invest to kick on. If you know what I mean. Mm. So we very much start of last season yeah um 1920 we were very much running on a similar budget that we were running in league two so we were bringing in players that were probably really good for league two but they weren't quite good enough or consistent enough to compete at the the higher level Mm. um so yeah it was difficult and then we brought in some really good players in january which is when everything started to kick off, didn't it? Mm. Um, so we strengthened. We brought in James Vaughan, who was an excellent striker at that level. Uh, proven goal scorer is doing well this season as well. Uh, we brought in a couple of other players that were doing well. And uh, after a, a bit of a barren period where we haven't won in eight, seven or eight games or something like that, we picked up three wins in a row and then the league was halted due to obviously the lockdown and stuff. Um, and we were three points behind, uh, three points off safety with a game in hand. Yeah. And obviously, all Tranmere fans say, well, we would have obviously won that game in hand to <laughs> to, to, to bring ourselves level. But mm. um, yeah, over the course of the 33 games that we did play, we, we weren't good enough, really. Um, we were building to be good enough. And had we played those 10, 12 games or whatever it was left, I'm pretty sure we would have stayed up because we did have some games against the teams who were around us as well. Mm. Um, obviously, what happened happened, and uh, the EFL put it to a vote. And EFL, uh, not one of our favourite organisations, um, and obviously AFC Wimbledon, who were a place above us, and seems like Accrington, who we could have caught. They all voted to end the season on PPG knowing that we would get relegated yeah. Um, so yeah it was inevitable really when when it came down to that and mm. 
yeah, it was very unfortunate that we were really the only team who were close to staying up um, or having the potential to, to stay up had the, the season continued to have just been relegated without a ball being kicked. And that's the frustrating part. And I think another bit of the frustration came from them allowing the playoffs to continue. So while we weren't allowed to fight mm. for our place to stay up, four teams were allowed to play off to 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 win a place in the in the championship. So I don't think it was particularly fair. Whether there was a better way of, of doing it, I don't know. But um, it does seem very harsh that we were, yeah. we were we were the only real club that found ourselves in that position of being shafted a little bit. Mm. Yeah, well, it did seem completely unfair at the time. Uh, and a really knee-jerk decision, really, even though there'd been three or four months of the season off to you know to find out what was going to happen. I couldn't understand for me why the Premier League was and the Championship was given this higher level of priority with uh, the tests and things like that. I know that they said, I think it was something like £400,000 a week it was going to cost per team to keep things uh, safe and you know teams like Tranmere and lower down couldn't afford that level of uh, investment just to get football on and when you're not getting the gate receipts in as well it would have been a disaster really so you can kind of understand but uh, for me as an outsider it does seem completely unfair is there still bitterness towards the EFL from Tranmere or have you got over it a little bit what do you think, Tom? <laughs> Football fans are bitter. Yeah. <laughs> no matter where you're from. And yeah, we, we hate the EFL, if we're completely honest. Mm. Um, yeah, it's not a positive relationship whatsoever. Um, I think uh, we've had sort of COVID issues and stuff this season, and obviously mm. a lot of teams have. And I think only one team has been penalised so far, although there's been so many games that have been postponed because of it mm. um, and there was a game where we played the youth team just because we thought we were going to get you know a 10 point reduction uh, penalty and stuff so we ended up playing a, a youth team at Salford we actually got a draw that day which is probably a good result mm. so, we, so maybe Keith Hill if you're listening play the youth team more often <laughs> but, um, but yeah it's just it's one of them where I don't think there's any sort of leadership there. They don't seem mm. to show any leadership qualities um, in any of the decision making. It seems to be make, making it, making things up as they go along. Yeah. And yeah, it, it is it is better because we we suffered the consequences. But it's like there's there's no there's no seem there's no sort of precedent. It does seem to be sort of making up as you go along. Mm. So mm. I mean, it's one of them. You've got to move on, obviously, but. Yeah, um, yeah, we would have liked to have been treated differently in terms of at, how it was determined. Yeah, and at least this season, if it is to stop, you're not currently in any danger of going down. Although that might not change. Not any in danger of going weeks. up either. Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right, let's move on to what I imagine will be quite happier memories for you. So you've sent me, or you've told me to go and find an Italia ninety shirt, uh, and it has got nineteen on the back. I'll show you that in a second. So why? Why 19 in particular and why Italia 19? Right, so um, as I mentioned before um, with the with the, the tram maker I chose, this is, this is the time when I was properly getting into football. So I went to my first game in 80, 87. So I was, what, four or five. I started going a bit more regularly to Tramia. Um, and yeah, this is something, Italia 90 really captured the imagination of the country. Mm. Um, and as an eight-year-old boy, he was just you know, living, breathing football all the time. Um, you know, playing with your mates in the in the park or kick around in the street or whatever it was. I was just football mad. And um, I remember having wasn't this shirt because I really want this shirt. <laughs> uh, if anybody's out there wants to donate one, uh, <laughs> size XL. Unfortunately, these days. But um, yeah, I had the uh, the red. The red, uh, I suppose it was the, the away kit um, at the time, and yeah, just memories of of that tournament. I mean, we got obviously got to the to the semi-finals. Gascoigne was just unbelievable, and he was, you know, the first player really that sort of captured my imagination in terms of like 
I want to play football like him because he's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact he was English and doing it on, you know, on the world stage just seemed to grab that attention a little bit closer. So obviously he wore 19 in that, in that world cup and, you know, this is a shirt that I've craved to own <laughs> for a long, long time. Um, never quite managed to have enough money to, <laughs> to buy one because they're, yeah. they're quite expensive these days. But uh, yeah, no, this was just the tournament that really was like, yeah, football is for me. I love mm. this game. And Paul Gascoigne is someone who is just a genius at football. And obviously, sadly, he's had his, had his problems and didn't maybe mm. fulfil his potential um, as much as he could have done. And obviously, he had injuries and all the rest of it, the, the 91. Um, mm. FA Cup final and stuff, but uh, yeah, he, he was he was one of the main reasons why I love football, and uh, yeah, this shirt just brings back happy memories of watching England go out in the semi-finals. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> we... it's a it's a shirt and it's a, a story that people have referred to a couple of times in this podcast because it's a very special World Cup for Wolves fans as well because Steve Bull was part of that uh, squad for the, and you know he was a striker from the third division. Playing in the uh, in the World Cup was quite special. Um, but talking about Gaza, did you get to watch him play in real life? Never did. Never did. Um, just trying to think. I mean, he would have been at Everton, um, mm-hmm. late nineties. Did he? I don't think he played against Tranmere when we beat him three 0 Got to get that on in there, yeah. just in case you have any Evertonian listeners. Um, so no, I never never saw him play. Um, mm. I don't think I've ever seen him in any of these little testimonial things or anything like that. Mm. Either. So, but yeah, it's just someone who sort of watched on the TV and yeah. you know, just admired from afar. He was he was obviously football Italia is something that I think I think we're gonna we're gonna touch on in a bit um, mm. in terms of my languages and stuff. But yeah. Well, well, you've mentioned it just now, your languages. So Italian and Spanish, it says on your Twitter profile. So has that led to any sort of football experiences out in, on the continent? Yeah, so I studied Italian and Spanish at university. Um, so my, my godfather is, is half Italian, uh, which kind of grabbed my imagination. Obviously, football Italia was a big thing when I was growing up. And obviously... Gaza being front and centre of, of their coverage and being able to watch him play for Lazio and stuff was was a big thing, you know, on Sunday afternoons. So uh, yeah, languages was something I was I was good at. It was probably the only thing I was good at at school. <laughs> um, so yeah, let, let me down. Obviously, following A levels and then university. So we did a, a year abroad in uh, did a year in Rome and a year in Alicante um, in Spain as part of my studies. Um, lived in a tower block in Spain in Alicante, which looked out over the Estadio um, Rico, Perez Rico, um, the stadium there, the big uh, stadium that was u- we used in the World Cup in '82. Mm. Uh, so I could look out on the stadium. I could probably watch matches when they were played out of my out of my window because we were 19 stories high in this tower block. Wow. Uh, but yeah, I used to I used to go and watch uh, Hercules over there. Um, who did recently get into, back into the, the Premier Division? They were in the, like the third tier of Spanish football at the time, so it was pretty low quality football, if I'm honest. Which mm. was which was good because I was used to watching Tramia, so I was, <laughs> I was I was quite happy just watching you know these average mediocre players. Um, so yeah, that was that was Spain, and then in Italy, I did what probably I couldn't admit to any any locals. I went to watch Lazio. One week, and I went to watch Rumor the, the week after. Because <laughs> uh, tickets were relatively cheap. I mean, I used mm. to go not in the curva because I, I, you know, I wouldn't survive in there. But um, just on the to the side of the curva, which is the, the area behind the goal where all the ultras sit mm. and all the blooming fireworks get set off and stuff. So I used to sit just to the side of that in the corner by the corner flag, um, and tickets were re- reasonably cheap. Um, so I used to be able to do that for both both teams. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'd go and watch Lazio one week, rumor the next, and then obviously Derby Day came. I 
kind of stayed out on that one because because <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah it gets, it gets a bit tasty uh, yeah. but uh yeah so I, I've, I've not done a derby um, but yeah, I used to go and watch them all the time, and then sort of you know, built built up a sort of friendships with various sort of Italians and stuff, and I've been over to to watch uh, Juventus. Um, one of because one of my one of my friends is a big Juve fan, so we went to mm. uh, Livorno, which is an interesting stadium, an interesting part of the world, um, and Juve were. It was the last. Was it? I think it was the penultimate game of the season, um, and Juve had already won the league. Albeit they were they were about to lose that league for for, oh. for various circumstances that not been known at the time. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I remember going and watching. Uh, we got there early because it was very busy, uh, in with all the Juve fans, which was great in the away end. And um, I remember watching Slatan Ibrahimovic warming up. Hmm. Um, which was <laughs> a sight to behold because he spent 20 minutes just belting a ball at the reserve goalkeeper as hard as he possibly could. Um, and there was a few balls that went flying over the stadium because it was uh, one of these sort of open tops. They had no reef on the, on the stand. It just went flying over this old concrete stadium. Uh, probably lost about five balls. Um, but yeah, that was just that was that was brilliant. He he was he was such a special player. I'm glad I've glad he's one of the ones I can tick off my list and say I've I've yeah. seen him play because he was a he was he was brilliant. But yeah, sort of various kind of crazy stadiums over there because mm. a lot of them are just concrete blocks built around the pitch. Yeah, uh, and to us sort of English fans who are like used to all these modern all seat stadium it's very 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 mm. different in some of them places and obviously the big clubs have got nice shiny stadium they've got a, a nice a nice new stadium but yeah. Livorno was <laughs> very much old school <laughs> and there was some uh, some interesting characters let's say hanging mm. around um, in the in those stadiums and there was, mm. yeah there was a bit of violence at that game but um, yeah some scary times in, in Italian football stadiums <laughs> I do like to drop in from time to time on this podcast that I went to watch Wolves playing Turin uh, two, well, nearly two years ago now uh, against Torino. And yeah, I can confirm that the stadiums are just these big blocks of concrete everywhere. Uh, but just to, in terms of football culture, which which country does it better? Or which of the three countries you've experienced football in, then England, Spain and Italy, which one does it the best for you? Obviously, I'm going to say England just because I'm I'm English and that's what I'm most used to. But I did a my dissertation was on Italian football culture. Uh, I love it. I love Italian football. And obviously, mm. growing up with with Gazetta Football Italia and stuff, maybe that sort of gives it a bit of bias. But I just love I love the sort of they're so passionate. I mean, mm. the fact that there's sort of five or six daily newspapers dedicated to sport mm. which is basically football and there's like yeah. 50 odd pages of football every day every day uh, <laughs> they're, they're 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 passionate about their their, their football mm. um and yeah just sort of the, the the i mean obviously the ultras is a bit of a controversial sort of subject they can be incredibly passionate and support their team but a lot of the time it's very much based upon let's try and intimidate the opposition as much as we yeah. can in terms of let's intimidate their fans let's intimidate their players <laughs> let's set fireworks off by yeah. their team boss all that kind of stuff I've seen it all um, so it's quite scary at times especially when you're mm. not expecting a, a, a firework to go off <laughs> just during I remember being in the Stadio Olimpico in Rome um, it was I don't know who they were playing. It was some. It was a boring game. Mm. It, you know, they're just passing it around the midfield, and all of a sudden, boom! There's this <laughs> massive explosion, and I'm like, "What? Are you, what the hell's going on here?" And there's blooming fireworks going on the pitch, and there's. It's, it's the only time you see blooming, uh, you know, three dozen firemen at a match, all with massive hose pipes, because they mm. know that there's going to be fireworks <laughs> flying on the pitch. 
and um, yeah, it was crazy, crazy. But they, that's it. They are super passionate people in general. But about mm. football, it's just another level. And you know, we're we're passionate about our teams, and you know, we support our teams properly. I would say they they take it to <laughs> they take it to another level, which is perhaps just a little bit over the line. Yeah. But yeah, um, it it is crazy and. But I, but I love it. I love it. And um, obviously, I'm not condoning all the violence and stuff that goes on. But um, yeah, the, the passion and stuff that they have for culture is is unbelievable. Yeah. Well, from my experience, my only game in Italy, Torino had two sets of opposing ultras who hated each other within the. So when they came to Molyneux, they had to separate them within Molyneux. There was one ultras upstairs and one ultra downstairs. It was uh, crazy to to witness, but it was very very entertaining, as you say, uh, and quite intimidating as well. When Torino scored, a couple of young men ran towards the glass parting that separated the home and away fans and they grabbed their balls and were just going ah, like right at us <laughs> it's so funny i've really really enjoyed it and hopefully when all this is over that's what i plan to do start going to a few more european games but let's move on to the final bit of the uh the podcast then i've asked you for a, a mystery piece of memorabilia i'm not sure if you've got it with you but you can tell okay. tell us the story nonetheless yeah so it's a bit of a weird story really um since I've been little, my, my dad, I'll share the story of my dad's. Um, so my dad used to collect football programmes and he had, he, back in the day when he would be right into clubs, you know, this is like during the 50s and 60s, he would write to clubs to ask if they could send him programmes and he'd built up a nice big collection of, you know, from all over the world, mm. uh, European Cup final ones and stuff. And uh, my grandma just gave him away, <laughs> or just threw him in a skip. <laughs> and if he'd, have, if he'd have kept his collection, it'd be with him an absolute fortune these days. Yeah. But um, they ended up in a skip somewhere. So, oh, no. um, so I started my little collection. Hmm. Obviously, going to we we've been to a lot of games, and um, so I, I built a collection of pro. I don't don't so much these days because mm. a lot of it is just rubbish and adverts and stuff finding most most club programs but um obviously with the internet being the the, the king really these days um but yeah so I, i've collected shirts and stuff and, and and programs and then um one of my friends a spanish friend who was living in manchester at the time who i was working with uh was doing a bit of teaching on the side and one of his uh, students was a, a ned manua who was playing for man city oh. um this is at the time when I was starting to, you know, doing the sports blogs and I was uh. Uh, starting to write and wanted to get into the, the, the media side of football. And uh, he said, oh, I'll speak to, I'll speak to Nedham for you and see if we can sort, I like, can interview and stuff out. So I did an, my first real interview of any sort of note at all was with Nedham and Newer. And uh, it's been read by about five people, I think, on the internet. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, he was like my first. It was just around the time when Rubinho had joined City, so okay, about 15, 2010, something years like ago. that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, so it was, it was when City were were starting to have a go. Um, so it should have drawn a bit more of interest. Maybe, <laughs> the, maybe that's a, an incitement of my bad writing. Well, there we go. Um, yeah. So yeah, we got, we kind of got a bit friendly with him. Um, He'd invite us to games and stuff. He wasn't in the team at the time, so he'd come and sit with us. And uh, we went to we went to Manchester derby, and uh, we went to see City Liverpool, and some really good games actually. Um, all all on the freebie, and you know, in the suites and stuff, <laughs> living up, living the life. Mm. Um, and yeah, at the end of the season, he, he gave me a pair of his boots. Oh. I was like, well, I've not don't really collect sort of football sort of player memorabilia to, mm. to that extent but he gave me a pair of boots signed them really nice uh navy blue umbro boots and i had a i was where i was at the time i had a, a bright <laughs> bright silver pair exactly the same uh, unfortunately these were about size 13 or 14 <laughs> far too big but uh yeah so that was my kind of like strange bit of memorabilia that I've collected mm. down the years they are it, they've, they've been my mum and dad's house somewhere I've got no mm. idea where but uh, I didn't throw them away 
Um, so hopefully they're still there, unless my mum has decided to take Checks up my dad's mum. <laughs> dad's mum did all those years ago. Yeah, yeah so um, yeah, really nice pair of boots. I want to get them in a proper like box and, yeah. and frame them and stuff, but yeah. never got round to, to doing it. But um, yeah, One so day. that's my mystery mystery bit of memorabilia. Lovely. Great story. And just before we go as well, uh, your hoodie... You've mentioned uh, before we started recording that you noticed that, that this was a very heavily Wolves-based podcast. So talk us through your hoodie there. Yeah, so not just football. Uh, one of my passions. One of my, I've only recently got into it as well. My partner mm. is a big Wanderers and Wolves fan, rugby league. I've never really watched it, um, but we started to go to a few games and I've kind of got into it and it's... It's very much not like football. There's a lot of stuff you can get away with in rugby league that mm-hmm. you, you cannot get away with in football, which is what I like. Football should be more like rugby league. <laughs> you should be able to get away with those uh, shoulder barges and stuff, mm. which you can't these days, but maybe a story for another time. Um, yeah, so one to Wolves is my, my adopted team. Um, so I thought, as I'm speaking to a big Wolves fan, I might as well join the <laughs> join the band, the brothers as such, and, and stick a, a Warrington top on. So, yeah, good lad. <laughs> good lad. Well, thank you very much, Paul, for coming on. I really enjoyed listening to your stories and uh, go and check out. This is Tramia if you're interested in. Well, not just a Tramia podcast by the sound of it, so that's that's quite a, a draw we for talk, people, we, perhaps. Yeah, we talk about anything but Tramia most weeks. <laughs> Good. Uh, and have you got any blogs going at the minute or any other writing that you'd like to promote? Not really. Um, I'm, I'm currently working in a school, uh, doing the marketing in a school, and that is taking up a lot of time mm. <laughs> and a lot of headaches. So, um, yeah, I'm not doing as much writing as I, as I would like to. But uh, yeah, if you follow me on, on social media at Paul Harper eighty two, uh, I post all my blogs and stuff on there. Hopefully, I'm gonna gonna get into it a little bit more with with lockdown and probably having a bit more time on our hands. So mm. yeah, follow me on there if you if you're interested. And if not, no worries. <laughs> well, brilliant. Thank you very much, Paul, uh, and thank you for putting up with all the terrible internet connections. Hopefully, we've managed to get a good podcast together in the end. It's, uh, but it's, it's going to make the edit interesting for you, Tom. So good luck oh, with that. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, nice one. Uh, well, thank you very much again. Don't forget to check this podcast out as well on all the various pr- platforms and uh, give it a five star rating and a, a review as well. We'd appreciate that. And get in touch with us as well. And the links for that are in the description to the podcast. But we'll see you again next week for another episode. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.